0: Uh, in, a, in a spirit of honesty, uh, if some of you were around in July on Wednesday night, uh, I used this text before, but uh, <clears throat> Spurgeon used to tell his uh, students at his college, uh, you don't really understand a text until you've preached it ten times. So uh, this is version number two. Uh, I don't know if I'll be around for eight, nine, up through ten, but who knows. So with that in mind, open your Bibles or look up in the screen if it's up there to Ecclesiastes, which is kind of an an odd place when you want to think about talking about worship. But Solomon actually has uh, some very important things to to say to us in regard to the matter of worship. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen (laughs) is better then to sacrifice to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know what they are that they are doing evil be not rash with your mouth nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God for God is in heaven and you are on earth therefore let your words be few for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words when you vow a vow to God do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when it comes to dreams, uh, for, when it, when, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. When we talk about worship, generally speaking, we're talking about it in terms of a noun. And the noun definition is the feelings or expressions of reverence and adoration for God. And again, when we think about worship, we also think about what we gather together to do to experience to come together to hear music, and, you know, there's all kinds of kerfuffles today about whether you should use this style of music or that style of music and all these other different kinds of things. But we're not going to be addressing those issues today because that's not what Solomon's talking about. Solomon is talking about uh, worship in the terms of a verb. It's an action, acts that demonstrate reference for God. And as he begins this uh, particular passage, he starts off in the first half of verse uh, one, says, guard your steps. The idea behind what he is saying here is be prepared or prepare your heart. And it was interesting when uh, Anthony started the service this morning, I don't know how many of you heard it, but he said, let's begin to prepare our hearts for worship. Prepare is an action. Now, we recognize that preparation is a vital element in terms of having anything to be successful. And I was thinking about this, and this past year, President Trump and the First Lady went to England. And uh, one of the things that often happens when heads of state go to England is that they have an opportunity to meet the Queen of England now we also know that whenever a head of state goes to a foreign country it's not just oh hey let's uh, hop on the plane millennia and go over and and talk to the prime minister and meet Liz there's all of this stuff that goes on in the background it's like an iceberg we see all the uh, the uh, news videos and all that but all this other stuff has gone on un- unseen to prepare the way and one of the things that every president in the United States has to do when they meet the queen is to learn how to meet the queen. You just don't walk up and say, hi, queen, how you doing today, folks? There is this unbelievable decades, hundreds of years of etiquette and protocol that you have to have when you meet the queen of England. Now, why am I saying such an emphasis about the Queen of England? Well, what Solomon is talking about here is prepare your heart when you go to the house of God. Hmm. The house of God. Well, he's actually talking about the temple. Uh, <clears throat> And so somebody say, well, this is referencing the Old Testament. You know, it's not necessarily referencing the Old Testament. And we're limited with time this morning, and I can't go in. But just understand that when this is as much applicable to us today as it was when Solomon was writing it several thousand years ago. We, when we come together, we are here for the purpose to come into the presence of who? Well who's God? Well he's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the thrice holy God. When Isaiah had the opportunity to see God, what happened to him? He fell and said literally, I am falling apart at the seams. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He was saying when he came into the presence of that God, our God, he was exposed for who he was, and he found out that he was a filthy, undesirable sinner. We're not going to visit the queen. The queen of England really is nothing. She has no power. She's a figurehead. If they never replaced the monarchy in England, England would continue to go on. But yet we get all concerned when we're gonna go meet the Queen of England. Or if we're gonna meet the President of the United States. We gotta get prepared. We get prepared for so many things, but when we come together as an individual, as individuals to come collectively. Do we really think and prepare our hearts, even before we walk into this, this building, to sing songs of praise and to listen to the orchestra and the choir and listen to the prayers? Do we ever really put our minds and our hearts and engage in what we're actually doing and who we're coming to celebrate? We lived in Wisconsin for 18 years. Um, and uh, SEC, foot, SEC football is, what's that up there? The only thing they talk about is the Packers, the Cheeseheads. Pastor, how long are you going to preach this morning? Because we've got to get home and watch the game. What's on their minds? What is really on their minds? Hey, did you see the game yesterday on TV? What would you think about it? as you're coming around and you're gathering here together to come before the king of kings. Scripture, uh, George Mueller, I don't know if any of you know who he was, he was uh, kind of revolutionary, revolutionized the uh, orphanage industry, so to speak, in England. And he, at one point in time, was housing and educating and and, uh, and teaching trades to 2,000 orphans in England in his orphanage. George Mueller never in his entire ministry ever went out on a fundraising campaign in his entire life. He lived strictly by faith, he ran the orphanage on faith. But George Mueller began every day with prayer. And before he prayed, he read Psalm 66, uh, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And he would review all of his previous day's activities before he went to prayer and go and make amends with anybody or do whatever he needed to do to make things right before he entered the throne of God. God expects us that when we come here to be focused on the things that have eternal value. We are all moving towards eternity. There is not one earthly thing that we can take with us. Lay not up yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourselves Uh, Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor stroy, nor where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Solomon is a man who is repenting from his backslidden state, and he's come to recognize that when we come into the house of God, we need to be prepared. The second thing he says To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing evil. So why do we come? What is the purpose of coming together? The purpose for coming together is to hear or to listen for God to speak. Not for me to speak. Not for the choir's music, but to listen for God to speak to us within the context of the framework that we've established. I was thinking about this, and I, I was thinking, uh, <clears throat> what if we had, uh, I hope you get these guys' uh, names right, Gus, uh, Gus, uh, what is his name, the guy from Auburn? Yeah, they're, or Kirby Smart, or uh, uh, Sabin. Can't think of his name. Senior moments, folks, senior moments. Okay. If we had him up here and speaking, first off, if we announced that next week Lou, Lou, uh, Sabin was going to be here speaking, what do you think this auditorium would look like? It would be packed to the gills. Why? We want to hear what he has to say. Really. Do we want to hear what Saban has to say? Because, well, he's gonna talk about Alabama football. Really? What eternal value does that have? When we have the opportunity Of every time we gather together to come together collectively as the people of God in expectation hoping that somehow or another we will hear God speak to us to tell us what we need in order to be his servant it's not our opportunity to run into him and say hey God I need this this and this hey thank you out the door everybody 's favorite uh, Baptist is uh, Charles Spurgeon and uh, when he was fifteen he was raised and his dad was a pastor, his grandfather was a pastor, he was raised in a godly home. when he was fifteen years old, he was on his way to church. it was snowing and uh, <clears throat> He didn't want to walk all the way down to where his father's church was. And he happened to be right next to a primitive Methodist church. And uh, so he walked in, and there was hardly anybody there because it was a snowy day. And uh, it, was a very, it was in a very poor part of town. So most of the, all the people in there were um, on the lower echelons of society. And the pastor wasn't there, and so a layman got up to speak, totally uneducated. Not only uneducated in the terms of reading and writing, and, and, but he could barely do that, but he had absolutely no Bible training at all, and he picked out a text. And from a hermeneutical point of view, he absolutely butchered it. And Spurgeon sat there, and it was very difficult for him to even understand what the man was saying. But you know what happened on that day? That was the day that God broke Charles Spurgeon. That's the day he surrendered to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we at times come to these, the, well, <clears throat> what's the preacher going to be wearing today? What songs are we going to sing? Is he going to preach too long? I remember my first church, and I used this illustration uh, this summer. In my first church, I, I, you know, I was a new pastor. As I was young, preaching as best that I could. And the guy came up to me after the service. He said, you know, I didn't hear a word you said today. I said, why? He said, your tie was crooked. By the way, is my tie straight? Really? Does it really matter if my tie is straight or not? Does it really matter what style of music there is or not? Is that really what is important? When I was a regional director, I traveled to dozens of churches every year, and every church had its own different worship style, and a lot of it was contemporary music. And I can't sing that well, it's usually out of my range and I can't keep up track with all the new stuff. And I used to get frustrated, but then one day I decided, hey, maybe if I just blocked out the noise and read the words, you know what, I could hear God speaking to me in the words. See, we get all wrapped up in the music and everything. Take take, um, my favorite hymn. And can it be that I should gain an entrance in the Savior's name. Listen to this. Died he for me who caused his pain. Just think about those words. Forget about the music. Just, just hone in on the words. It's always interesting. I was reading, and I'm reading through the Bible, and I happened to be in Joshua. And Joshua is outside of Jericho, and he's, he's standing there, and all of a sudden, this guy in military garb stands before him, and he says, well, who are you, friend or foe? He says, I am the captain of the Lord's army. And you know what Joshua did? He fell flat on his face. And you know what he said? What do you have to say to me? Are we really interested in what God might have to say to us? How can we be a different kind of people if we're not letting God be the one who is filling our minds and our hearts? The last aspect of this begins in verse 2 and actually carries down through the rest of it. It says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. In other words, you better think before you commit. You know, sometimes coming together in in a in a large group, it can be an emotional experience. I grew up in the holiness movement. And let me tell you, camp meeting could be real exciting. Boy, those song services were just to knock your socks off. And those saints who didn't believe in dancing did the two-step in the aisle waving hankies. Sanctified dancing, okay? I mean, it was an emotional experience. Well, Uncle Frank was up on the platform, and he'd say, I think we need to have Dora Shaw come down here and sing for us. My mother was four foot eleven. She could fill this room with her voice without a microphone. It's an emotional experience. And and my mom would come home sometimes after singing. She says, Well, well, God wasn't there today. What do you mean? Well nobody responded there was no emotion forget the emotion we make bad choices when we make choices based on emotions I bought a Porsche I had yeah it was used but I learned very quickly a Porsche owns you you don't own the Porsche Don't do things in the heat of emotion. We'll make stupid choices. Ask Peter. Peter, you're going to deny me. No, 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 no. Yes, you are. No, no way. I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to die with you. Next thing we see Peter doing is what? Denying him. And in Luke's account, it says after he denied him and the roaster crowed, Jesus turned, and there was Peter looking at him eyeball to eyeball. Oops. How would that feel? God expects us that when we make a commitment that we're going to follow through with that. There's none of this business of, well, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't really need to make that commitment. Solomon says this, let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? We don't like it when people back out on their commitments that they make to us, do we? But who are we in comparison to the creator of the universe? Who are we in comparison to the guy, the God who planned our redemption? Who are we in comparison to the Son of God who died on the cross paying for my sin? How dare we not be careful in what we say and the commitments that we make in relationship to who he is? What did I do with my paper? Here it is. Well, we're going to close at this particular point, and I want to close with with, uh, an old hymn that really is a poem, but it's actually a prayer. And I want you to listen to this very carefully. And you can even say it with me, because it's something that we probably know. Open my eyes, that I might see. Glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me, Spirit divine. Open my ears that I may hear voices of truth thou sendest dear, clear. And while the wave notes fall on my ear, everything false will disappear. Open my mind that I may read more of thy love in word and deed. What shall I fear while yet thou dost lead? Only for light from thee I plead. Open my mouth and let me bear gladly the warm truth everywhere. Open my heart and let me prepare love with thy children thus to share silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me, Spirit divine. In Jesus' name we pray.